Well, good evening, everyone. Welcome to our Roots class tonight, the appointed times, session number three. And I'll just tell you in advance, it's a good one. It's a good one. So uh, I hope you leave here saying it was a good one. So let's get everybody in, close those doors back there. And uh, we'll get started. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you for this beautiful day we've had here. And the weather is uh, perfect. And uh, tonight, the joy of the Lord is our strength. We have this incredible hope. Tonight, we have a topic that reveals things that uh, nobody on earth could make this up. That you're presenting the, the reality of the Messiah. So that um, we would know the one true God and Jesus who... He is sent to save us. So tonight, may your Holy Spirit fill this room. May you reveal, uh, open our minds to understand the scripture. Uh, not so we would just understand things that happened, but so that we might know you. In Jesus' name, amen. These are the rules that God has established with Israel. Rules, laws. Why? that would allow the people of Israel to live their lives in the presence of God. There was no way they could live in the presence of God and not be destroyed by the glory and holiness of God unless there were rules, conditions. So when I say the, God, the, the presence of God, the first thing I think of is Emmanuel, God with us. What was going to happen was Emmanuel. God was going to come live among the people in the camp of Israel. So to do that, Leviticus 23, it's kind of the framework scripture. The Lord said to Moses, give the following instructions to the people of Israel. These are the Lord's appointed festivals, which you are to proclaim as official days for holy assembly. And that's where we're getting all of these um, feasts and festivals, the appointed times. Now understand God sets them. They are appointed in the heavens, by the moon, by the sun, by the stars. He's ordained them and connect the universe to them and connected the creator of the universe to them. All of it's connected. All of it's intertwined. And when you can start to see it, then you really get to know the character of God. God sets them, not man. These appointed times are part of God's word, and they are each one revelations of more than dates from the past. They are revelations of the person of Christ. All of God's appointed times have impact on the church. So if you see this study and you think, why in the world does a New Testament church study the Old Testament feast? Every one of them reveals something to us today. In fact, all of God's appointed times reveal the head of the church, Jesus. Even though these appointed times that we're studying in Leviticus were set 1,500 years before the birth of Christ. Tell me God doesn't have a plan. We've covered the Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath, our rest. We've covered the Passover last week. He is the Passover lamb. Now, tonight will be the Feast of Unleavened Bread. 
which is directly connected to the appointed time of Passover. If you were here last week, I told you that the Passover begins, that's day one, and then for seven days, seven consecutive days. So Passover day one, then seven consecutive days is the Feast of Unleavened Bread. So they are together. They aren't, there's no gap. One flows right into the other one, seven days of the second one. So here we go, verse five. The Lord's Passover begins at sundown on the 14th day of the first month. On the next day, okay, you see it? On the next day, so there's no gap. The 15th day of the month, you must begin celebrating the Feast of Unleavened Bread. This festival to the Lord continues for seven days. And during that time, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. Now here comes the kind of the central point to the feast itself. For seven days, you're going to eat bread made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, all the people must stop their ordinary work and observe an official day for holy assembly. So it's almost like he's putting a Sabbath in the middle of the event. Why? Because you got to stop everything and you can't work. So it's like the Passover and then it's like an extra Sabbath day. And you can't work and you can't eat bread with yeast. It's a solemn assembly. Verse 8, for seven days you must present special gifts to the Lord. So you've got a part in this. You're going to bring a gift to God. You're going to bring him an offering. For seven days, you bring a special gift to the Lord. On the seventh day, the people must again have like a Sabbath. On the seventh day, you again stop all your ordinary work to observe an official day for the Holy Assembly. The Feast of Unleavened Bread, it's matzot, matzah, would begin one day after Passover. They are connected. There was no time. Why, why this method? Everything goes back to Exodus, okay? Passover, blood of the lamb over the door. What about this? There was no time to let the bread rise in their departure from Egypt. And we'll read that. There was a sense of urgency connected to their deliverance and their Passover. So I'm going to make a big deal out of this tonight, that the Passover is connected to the unleavened bread in a way that to receive the Passover, you've got to have the unleavened bread to get the Passover in its fullness. Now, I'll show you what that means. Um, in this festival, you're going to see something I doubt very many of you have ever seen before, that the Feast of Unleavened Bread is a symbol of repentance. Now, I wonder how many of you can pick up on that even in this early stage. It is a symbol of repentance. It is the urgency of repentance. Because yeast, in this symbol, symbolization, yeast is sin. And you got to get rid of the yeast. If you're going to get the Passover coverage of the blood of the Lamb, you've got to get rid of the yeast. You've got to get rid of the sin. And there's an urgency. You've you got to do it when the door opens. When the moment arises for the Passover lamb to come in contact with you, you must, your first response, your first immediate response is repentance. Get rid of the yeast. Get rid of the sin. It's an urge. We do it quickly while the opportunity is available. Now, let me start connecting some dots. Exodus 12. 
This is a day to remember. Each year, from generation to generation, you must celebrate it as a special festival to the Lord. This is a law, listen, for all time. The Jews around the world, they still celebrate Passover. The Jews around the world, they still celebrate the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's a law for all time. For seven days, the bread you eat must be made without yeast. On the first day of the festival, remove all trace of yeast from your homes. Now, when I read that, do you understand what he's doing? So he's like, what's the problem with yeast? Huh? That's what you want to think. What's the problem? It's not about the yeast. It's about what it represents and what it's connected to. It's connected to the Passover lamb. And if you want to have access to the Passover lamb, get the yeast out quickly, suddenly. Repent quickly, suddenly, because this is your up. The door has opened for the Passover, for death to pass over you. You, you don't play games with this. You, you get serious about this, right? You do it quickly. Anyone who eats bread during that week with, made without, with yeast, excuse me, anyone who eats bread made with yeast during the seven days of the festival will be cut off from the community of Israel. Do you see it? Is it about yeast? It's not about yeast because they could use yeast in other weeks. It's not about the yeast. It's the symbolization of yeast equals sin. On the first day of the festival and again on the seventh day, all of the people must observe an official day for holy assembly. No work of any kind may be done on these days except the preparation of the food. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. Now, now what's he connecting it to? We've already did the Passover. What's he connecting the Passover to? It was the final. It was the 10th plague. It broke the back of Egypt. It set you free from the bondage of sin and death, right? And you finally get a chance to get freedom. But, but there's the blood of the lamb over the door. Now, he says this. This feast, which follows Passover, it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. So everything goes back to Egypt. Well, what's Egypt? Bondage. What's Egypt? sin. It's a picture of the bondage of sin and death. It's the human dilemma. We have all sinned. We're all bound by sin. We all have the nature of sin. We are in the lineage of sin. We, we can't get loose. We're slaves to sin. I'm a slave to sin. Does anybody, you know, I say this jokingly, but it's not a joke. Does anybody wake up in the morning and say to your wife, hey, honey, I'm going to try to sin today. I'll give it my best shot. No. Hey, honey, I'm going to try to be righteous today. I'll give it my best shot. Which one's more realistic? It's the righteousness. We're prone to sin. It's natural. Celeb Verse 17. Celebrate this festival of unleavened bread, for it will remind you that I brought your forces out of the land of Egypt on this very day. This festival will be a permanent law. Celebrate this day from generation to generation. The bread you eat must be made without yeast from the evening of the 14th day of the first month until the evening of the 21st day of the month. Now, listen carefully. God has appointed times. These are specific. They are connected with the lunar calendar. They are connected with the universal movements. Do you see what he's doing? He's telling them the day you do it will be depending upon what's happening in the sky. 
in the universe. And by the way, when you're done doing all that measuring, you'll find there behind all of that is Jesus. All of them will point to him because he's the one in the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. And everything that was made was made by Him, for Him, and through Him. So when you figure all this out, you know what you'll see? Jesus. During those seven days, there must not be a trace of yeast in your homes. Anyone who eats anything made with yeast during this week will be cut off from the community of Israel. These regulations apply to both foreigners living among you and to native-born Israelites. Let me touch on that for a moment. If a foreigner, a Gentile, lived among the people of Israel, he had to convert to Judaism. He couldn't be a foreigner and remain a foreigner. Why? Do you know? Because he would make their home unclean. And they couldn't participate in Passover or unleavened bread. So when it says a foreigner, what he's talking about is uh, they weren't in the bloodline. They weren't genealogically in the bloodline. They were brought in as maybe you bought them as a slave. Uh, and that happened a lot. But, it, but for him to come in, or her to come in, to your family, they couldn't be Gentiles and remain Gentiles. Couldn't have them in your house. Why? Because to, to them, we were unclean. Okay? So, um, these regulations apply both to foreigners living among you and to native-born Israelites. During those days, you must not eat anything made with yeast wherever you live. In other words, if you move later to Chicago, wherever you live, eat only bread made without yeast. Why no yeast? I've touched on it already. Yeast is a symbol of sin. Sin must be removed from the people to find their deliverance. You can't find deliverance with sin. You got to get the sin out. What is repentance? Get the sin out. Get it out. Get the yeast out. Egypt is a picture of spiritual bondage, of sin and death. We must exit quickly. And this is what I want to make sure everybody gets tonight. There is an urgency in the feast. We must get it out quickly. When the Passover lamb is offered to us, the urgency of repentance is remove the yeast quickly. That's why the Bible says today is the day of salvation. When you hear his voice... Do not harden your heart as they did in the rebellion. That's in the New Testament. When you hear the voice of the Passover lamb, he's calling you to repentance. He's calling you to remove the yeast from your house. And you can't say to the Passover lamb, I'll get to that later. You will not participate in the Passover. Death will not pass over you. You chose death over life. Anybody listening? That's why repentance is so big. I'm going to show you it's everywhere. So let's go to Exodus 12. Pharaoh, let's go back to its origin. Sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out. And by the way, this is going to be Passover night. Um, the, the 10th plague of Egypt. Pharaoh sent for Moses and Aaron during the night. Get out. He ordered, leave my people. Take the rest of the Israelites with you. Go and worship the Lord as you, you have requested. Go. Take your flocks and herds as you said and be gone. Go. But listen, this is amazing. But bless me as you leave. Let me ask you a question. Listen carefully. Now who's the master and now who's the slave? It's the great reversal. 
the top is going to go to the bottom and the bottom is going to go to the top. You know, Jesus said that's going to happen in the end. The bottom will come up, the top will come down. Go, but bless me before you leave. All the Egyptians, not just Pharaoh, urged the people of Israel to get out of the land as quickly as possible. For they thought, We're, we will all die. I told you, it's the tenth plague. We will all die. The Israelites, Israelites took their bread dough before the yeast was added. This is a sudden event. They didn't plan for this. They're having a normal day in Egypt. They've been there 400 years. All their families knew was bondage. Their daddy was a slave. Their granddaddy was a slave. Their great-granddaddy was a slave. Everybody's been a slave. Nobody knows what it's like to be free. So in that scene, they've got bread. And it says, the Israelites took their bread dough before yeast was added. They wrapped their kneading boards in their cloaks. Can you imagine this scene? It's all in haste. It's all, now, now's the time. Let's go. Let's go. This is our window of opportunity. You might not get this window of opportunity later. Do you see it? Repentance, what it is? Get the yeast out. And they carried them on their shoulders. Let's go to Deuteronomy 16. Your Passover sacrifice may be from either the flock or the herd. And it must be sacrificed to the Lord your God at the designated place of worship, the place he chooses for his name to be honored. Eat the bread made without yeast. For seven days the bread you eat must be made without yeast. And as when you escaped from Egypt in such a hurry. Do you see it? I'm trying to make sure you get the point of the urgency of the moment that the Passover is offered to you. When he says, when the creator of the universe says, I'm giving you a chance for death to pass over you. Are you going to say, I'll get back to you on that. But you know what? I see it every Sunday. I see it every Sunday. I'll get back to you on that. Why? I don't want to repent. I don't want you to talk about repenting. Eat this bread, the bread of suffering. I want you to notice the definition. This yeast, I mean this bread, unleavened bread, is the bread of suffering. Eat this bread, the bread of suffering. By the way, if you repent, it is like suffering. How many of you all ever enjoyed repenting? You know what I see when most people are repenting? They're weeping. Why? It is painful. It is the bread of suffering. It is when I am broken. And when I am broken, here comes the Passover. Here he comes. Here comes the Passover. Eat this bread of suffering so that you, so that as long as you live, you will remember the day you departed from Egypt. Let no yeast be found in any house throughout your land for seven days. And when you sacrifice the Passover lamb on the evening of the first day, do not let any of the meat remain until the next morning. So many details, but so much life. So much life, eternal life. Do it in haste. Do it in a hurry. Do it with urgency. It represents the bread of suffering. Why? Because in the time of Egypt, there was a suffering lamb. He suffered and he died. Right? That lamb, when they took the blood of him, they didn't just... Put a band-aid over the hole. That lamb dies. And they, they consume the lamb. You eat the lamb. 
And then it's all a shadow. I'm going to show you. It's all a shadow of the future. It's the bread of suffering because the lamb's going to die. Okay? Jesus is going to be the lamb and he's going to suffer and then he's going to die. The Passover lamb is connected to suffering. Breaking the bondage of sin and death. So let's jump over to Luke 22. Jesus said, I have been very eager to eat this Passover meal with you before my suffering begins. Do you see the connection? Deuteronomy and Luke. It's suffering. The lamb is suffering. I want to eat this Passover meal before my suffering begins. For I tell you that I won't eat this meal again until its meaning is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. I touched on that, what, a couple weeks ago. That's going to be, what, the wedding supper of the Lamb. Do it so you will never forget. Remember so that you'll never forget. Can you see communion? When Jesus said, do this in remembrance of me. What? So that you will never forget. Can you see the Passover? Can you see the unleavened bread? Because the whole festival of unleavened bread was what? So that you'll never forget. Why do you got to do it every year? So that you'll never forget. Why is it forever? So that you will never forget. Why? Because if you don't do it, you will forget. You will forget. The Passover is the blood of the Lamb. The blood of Christ in communion. The unleavened bread is the body of Christ in communion. When we take communion here on Sunday, we are participating in the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. That bread that you eat in that cup that we pass out, that bread has no yeast in it. It is the bread of suffering. Listen carefully. It is the bread of repentance. That's why the Apostle Paul says, any of you who take this and eat and drink of it without reflecting upon yourself you bring judgment upon yourself what you must take this with a repentant of heart you must take it not just to remember what jesus did but it is the bread of suffering in that moment i take the bread i take the cup and it, it is a moment of repentance of contrition it is a moment of reflection about the suffering of christ and then there's, a, in a way, it's the suffering of my brokenness before him. It's the suffering, our, our brokenness before him, our emptiness without him. Remember, so that you'll never forget the way of God, the way that God redeemed you from bondage through great suffering. It was an incredible price. The great suffering, the bread of suffering is expensive. In fact, it's the most expensive thing that's the transaction ever performed on the earth is what? When God gave his son in a transaction to redeem me and you. The bread of suffering. You don't, you don't, just, you don't just take that on and, and communion. You don't just... You don't do that. Do you understand what that costs? Do you understand what that purchases? It purchases your life. He gives you life. Understand the meaning? Kind of makes you look at communion in a totally different way, which it should. He redeemed us from bondage through great suffering so that death would pass over us. Deuteronomy 16, 16. Each year, every man in Israel must celebrate three festivals. 
Every man in Israel must celebrate three festivals. The festival of unleavened bread, that's the one we're doing tonight. The festival of the harvest, that's the festival of weeks or Pentecost. You, we know it more as Pentecost. And the festival of shelters, and people call that tabernacles. I don't know why they've got so many names, but it's all the same thing. Everybody, all men have to celebrate these feasts every year. On each of these occasions, all men must appear before the Lord your God at the place he chooses, but they must not appear before the Lord without a gift. No man can come empty-handed. You must bring an offering. Okay? You've got to give something back. That was the, that was the Jewish law. These are God's appointed times, times to remember so that we will never forget. So here comes the same question I'm going to ask in every one of these events. How did Jesus deal with the Feast of Unleavened Bread? So I'm talking about how Moses and Joshua and all them dealt with it, but how did Jesus deal with it 1,500 years later when he shows up? Can you see the Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread in the Last Supper? So that answers the question in a way, because Jesus is going to deal with Passover and the Feast of Unleavened Bread himself personally when he arises. Let's go back and look at Mark 14, 12. It's also included in Matthew. It's also included in Luke. I'm going to just read the Mark one. On the first day of the Festival of Unleavened Bread, when the Passover lamb is sacrificed, Jesus' disciples ask him, where do you want to go and prepare the Passover meal? So Jesus sent two of them into Jerusalem with these instructions. As you go into the city, a man carrying a pitcher of water will meet you. Follow him. At the house he enters, say to the owner, the teacher asks, where is the guest room where I can eat the Passover with my disciples? He will take you upstairs to a large room that is already set up. That is where you should prepare the meal. Do you think there's any yeast in the house? No. You're going to prepare the meal. There's going to be a Passover meal. So the two disciples went into the city and found everything just as Jesus had said. And they prepared the Passover meal. Now here's the first point I want you to get. 1,500 years after it is announced, they're still doing it. That's the first thing I want you to notice. They're still doing it. And Jesus is doing it. And if they're doing it and Jesus is doing it, it's still important. Right? Did anything change? It's about to. It's about to. Um, this is what we refer to as the Last Supper. What he's preparing. The Passover meal, Feast of Unleavened Bread. We call it the Last Supper. Um, the Sabbath, the Passover, and the Feast of Unleavened Bread. We've, this is our third week. What have we covered? We covered the Sabbath. We covered Passover. Today we cover the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Listen carefully. You're, this is, hopefully you already see this. All of these are only a shadow of the main event. Let me use a different word. They are only a preview of the main event. They are not the event itself. They are pointing you to the event itself, right? All of them are pointing you to a person. So, that's revealed in Colossians 2.16, very plainly. The Apostle Paul, he's writing to the Gentile church. And he says, so don't let anyone condemn you for what you eat or drink. Or for not celebrating certain holy days. 
He's talking to the church. You think the Jews were giving the church a hard time about not participating in some of these festivals? Do you see it? Don't let anyone condemn you for not celebrating certain holy days or new moon ceremonies. Several of these are based on new moons. In fact, the uh, Rosh Hashanah, the Feast of Trumpets, is a new moon event. All right, so there's one of the examples. Or Sabbaths. You, you guys, why don't you do it on Saturday? Right? Can you see the, the tension between the church and the Jews? Why? For these rules are only shadows of the reality yet to come. And Christ himself is the reality. So y'all wanting to focus on the day. And God wants to focus on the person. Not the day. The person. Leaven, or yeast, represents sin, and Jesus is the perfect, spotless Lamb of God. The Passover Lamb. Repentance occurs in our hearts when we take the Passover Lamb by faith. Are you with me? Let's start with Jesus and the perfect Lamb. I saw a video just last night, I think it was Dr. David Reagan giving some statistics, and he said that many people in the modern church, which has lost sight of the scriptures, many do no longer believe that Jesus had never sinned. Never sinned. And now I want you to understand, we believe that Jesus lived 33 years in a human life and never did he sin once, not once. Zero, 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 never, 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 never. He is the perfect spotless lamb of God. So don't let that lie come out of this church that Jesus sinned. Don't let that come out of here. So repentance, now, now to us, that's Jesus. He's, he's the Passover. He's the perfect spotless lamb of God that was offered to redeem mankind. So Repentance occurs in our heart when we take the Passover lamb and receive him by faith. And when I receive him by faith, I receive him through repentance. That's the haste. That's the urgency. That's the brokenness of myself. The Apostle Paul, let, let me show it to you. The Apostle Paul writes to the church at Corinth, and he connects sin, yeast, and the church. He makes the connection. 1 Corinthians 5.1. I can hardly believe the report about the sexual immorality going on among you, church. Something that even pagans don't do in the church. By the way, Corinth was a Gentile church, okay? I am told that a man in your church is living in sin with his stepmother. A man is having sexual relations with his stepmother. And you're so proud of yourselves. Let me ask you, how do you think you read that? And you're, uh, this could be written today. And if you ain't getting it, then I'm going to stay here until you do get it. And you are so proud of yourselves, right? You, you are so tolerant. You are so full of love and tolerance that you find it okay that this man is having sexual relations with his stepmother. And, and you think that you're going to get a gold star for that? And, you, and you're so proud of yourselves? 
But you should be mourning in sorrow and shame. Let this speak to the church in America that's losing its soul. You should be ashamed. You should be in mourning, sorrow, shame. You should remove this man from your fellowship. What is it? Listen, I want you to get it. Remove the yeast from your house. Does it matter? He's writing this to a church. Even though I am not with you in person, Paul says to the church, I am with you in the spirit. And as though, and as though I were there, I have already passed judgment on this man. So much for this idea, do not judge. Go tell the apostle Paul that. Go ahead. I'll wait for you. I've already passed judgment on this man in the name of the Lord Jesus. You must call a meeting of the church, and I'll be present with you in spirit, and so will the power of our Lord Jesus. And then you must throw this man out and hand him over to Satan, so that his sinful nature will be destroyed, and he himself will be saved on the day the Lord returns. Now, let me, let me make sure you get something. You throw this man out so that he's lost and goes to hell? No so that he'll be convicted of his sin, repent of his sin, and come and be saved on the last day. So what if you don't? What if you just leave him? You leave him lost and her too. Anybody seeing it? Your boasting about this is terrible. What? You feel so good about your tolerance? Your boasting about this is terrible. Don't you realize that this sin... And, and you know what he's talking about. I'm not taking it out of context. You know that this sin is like a little yeast that spreads through the whole batch of dough. What's going to happen if they don't address this in the church? Then it'll spread. And the yeast, sin, will be everywhere until, are you ready? Until no one will know what yeast looks like anymore. Yeast, what's that? I don't know what yeast is. Get rid of the old yeast by removing this wicked person from among you. And then you'll be like a fresh batch of dough made without yeast. There's the feast of unleavened bread. That's it. Then you'll be like a, a fresh batch of dough made without yeast, which is what you really are. Christ, our Passover lamb. Here we go. They're all tied together. Has been sacrificed for us. So repent. Get rid of the yeast. So let us celebrate the festival. What festival? It's the fest festival of unleavened bread. Let us celebrate the festival, not with old bread of wickedness and, and evil, but with the new bread of sincerity and truth. Sin must be removed. There is an urgency. This is urgent. We do it with haste. When the Passover lamb is offered to us, we, do, we respond quickly. We respond completely in repentance. You do not look at someone offering you a chance to, to survive death. You don't look at him and say, I'll get back with you. Jesus reveals the spiritual hypocrisy of the Pharisees as yeast that would destroy the whole batch of dough. Spiritual hypocrisy will destroy the church. So let me ask you, what is spiritual hypocrisy? It is religion without the lamb. It is based on self-righteousness. It will destroy the church. 
the Pharisees had it in abundance. Here we go. Luke 12, 1. Meanwhile, the crowds grew until thousands were milling around and stepping on each other. And Jesus turned first to his disciples and warned them, beware of the yeast of the Pharisees, their hypocrisy. He calls it yeast. They understood what that meant. What is their yeast? What is their sin? Hypocrisy. They had religion without the lamb. What's the lamb? The Passover. They had ritual without the lamb. And why? Why? Because the lamb stood in front of them and they couldn't see him. Because they had replaced the goal of knowing God with the goal of practicing ritual things instead of knowing God. It was all ritual. It was just going through the motions. Matzah. That's what unleavened bread is. Stands for without sin. And is a picture of Jesus without sin. The only human ever lived without sin. Jesus describes himself as the bread. Now let's, let's change gear. Jesus is the matzah. He is the unleavened bread. He is the unleavened perfect bread without yeast from heaven. Now, do you think everybody's going to just fall in line with that idea? Well, there's a scene here. They knew about bread of heaven, didn't they? It's called manna. And if you read the Old Testament, all the Israelites, what did they eat during those 40 years in the wilderness? Manna. What is manna? Bread out of heaven provided by God. Jesus is about, it's a long scripture, all of it's important. Jesus is about to tell the Jewish people up front, honest and total and complete, I am manna. I am the bread of heaven. It's me. Everybody happy? They're not happy either. They're not. They're not happy. Here we go. Let's read it. Jesus told them, this is the only work God wants from you. Believe in the one he has sent. They answered, show us a miraculous sign if you want us to believe in you. What can you do? After all, our ancestors, they ate manna while they journeyed through the wilderness. The scriptures say Moses gave them bread from heaven to eat. Jesus said, I tell you the truth, Moses didn't give you bread from heaven. Moses, he, Moses didn't do it. My father did. And now he offers you the true bread from heaven. The true bread of God is the one who comes down from heaven. Now, they're going to struggle with this. Listen, people still struggle with it today. The true bread of heaven, the bread of God, is the one who comes down from heaven, which means he's not from around here. He comes down from heaven and gives life to the world. So they said, give us this bread every day. Jesus replied, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never be hungry again. Whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. But you haven't believed in me, even though you have seen me. However, those the Father has given me will come to me, and I will never reject them. For I have come. You see how he's making this so plain? I have come down from heaven. I'm not from Nazareth. I'm not from Bethlehem. 
You think they're just going to readily accept this? You're going you're to find out. I have come down from heaven to do the will of God who sent me, not to do my own will. And this is the will of God, that I should not lose even one of those he has given me, but that I should raise them up at the last day. You ought to underline that one because there's four of them in there, and there will be the most important thing you'll ever know in life. Four times in this text, Jesus makes a promise of, he, I will raise you up on the last day. That's big. It's the biggest of all bigs that I know about big. I will raise him up on the last day. For it is my Father's will that all who see his Son and believe him shall have eternal life. And here comes number two. And I will raise them up on the last day. Then the people began to murmur in disagreement because he said, I am the bread that came down from heaven. And they said, isn't this Jesus, the son of Joseph? You see what's happening? They can only see the physical. They only see the repetition of religion. They don't see the spiritual. Isn't this jo the son of Joseph? We know his father. We know his mother. How can he say, I came down from heaven? But Jesus said, stop complaining about what I said. For no one comes to me unless the Father who sent me draws them to me. And at the last day, number three, here it comes. At the last day, I will raise them up. As it is written in the scriptures, they will all be taught by God. Everyone who listens to the Father and learns from him comes to me. Not that anyone has ever seen the Father, only I, who was sent from God have seen him. I tell you the truth, anyone who believes has eternal life. Yes, I am the bread of life. You know what he's saying? I am, I am manna from heaven. But here, here's where they're going to get it. I am the feast of unleavened bread. They all know that. They all know that because they do it every year. He said, it's me. When you celebrate the feast of unleavened bread, you're so, it's me. Your ancestors ate manna in the wilderness and they all died. Anyone who eats this bread from heaven, anyone eats the bread from heaven, however, will never die. See, now it's going to get really tight. Your ancestors, they ate this bread, this manna out of heaven, every one of them eventually, they all died. But anyone who eats the bread from heaven, eats of me, will never die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will live forever. And this bread which I will offer so the world may live is my flesh. This now, how do you think it's going to go over? I can see the crowd starting to thin out right now. It's my flesh. You mean we got to eat this guy? I mean, what would you think if you were there that day? Then the people began arguing with each other about what he meant. How can this man give us his flesh to eat? They asked. So Jesus said again, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, that's communion, right? The body of Christ and the blood of Christ. Unless you take of the body of Christ and the blood of Christ. What? What is it? You cannot have eternal life within you. Okay, think about it. Unless you drink my blood, there's Passover. Unless you take my body, that's the unleavened bread. Unless these come inside of you, you're dead. What is Passover? Death passes over you. Well, you didn't get death passing over you. You got death coming in you. You see it? Yeah. 
and let you eat? Let me repeat verse 53. I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink His blood, you cannot have eternal life within you. But anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life. And here comes number four, my favorite. And I will raise that person at the last day. For my flesh is true food. My blood is true drink. And anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood remains in me and I in him. I live because of the living Father who sent me. In the same way, anyone who feeds on me will live because of me. I am the true bread that came down from heaven. Anyone who eats this bread will not die as your ancestors did, even though they ate the manna from heaven, but will live forever. And he said these things while he was teaching in the synagogue in Capernaum. So what can we learn? Jesus is the feast of unleavened bread. When he enters into us, we become like him. He changes us. And I've used this illustration for years. Can you imagine that the creator of the universe, the creator of the universe, Emmanuel, God with us, the creator of the universe, that he actually comes and moves inside of you and you're not different? Really? You're not different? You're the same as you used to be? And you have no idea who he is. So do you think the Holy Spirit can enter you and you are not changed? It's not possible. It's not possible. I mean, listen to what he's telling us. He is the unleavened bread. When he enters us, we become like him. We're radically changed. He changes us. The prophet Isaiah describes it 750 years in advance. This whole idea of the bread of suffering, the Passover lamb, 750 years beforehand, this is what the bread of suffering is going to look like. That's why, that's why repentance is hard. That's why Jesus is weeping in the Garden of Gethsemane. Why? Because it's hard. He, he's not repenting, but he doesn't want to die because he's a man. He doesn't want to die. Father, if there's any other way for this, let this cup to pass from me, let it, let it pass from me. If there's another way, yet not my will but yours be done. He's, he's suffering. It's the bread of suffering. He's going to take the bread of suffering, become the bread of suffering. Well, it's prophesied, Isaiah 53. Yet it was our weaknesses he carried. It was our sorrows that weighed him down. We thought his troubles were a punishment from God, a punishment for his own sins. No. He was pierced for our rebellion. He was crushed for our sins. He was beaten so that we could be made whole. He was whipped so we could be healed. All of us, like sheep, have strayed away. We have left God's paths to follow our own. Yet the Lord laid on Jesus, the Passover lamb, the sins of us all. He was oppressed and treated harshly, yet he never said a word. He was led like a lamb. There you go. There's the Passover lamb. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter. And as a sheep is silent before the shears, he did not open his mouth. Unjustly condemned, he was led away. No one cared that he died without descendants, that his life was cut short in midstream, but he was struck down for the rebellion of my people. He had done no wrong and he had never deceived anyone. He's the perfect man. But he was buried like a criminal. He was put in a rich man's grave. But it was the Lord's good plan to crush him and cause him grief. He is the bread of suffering. Yet when his life is made an offering for sin, he will have many descendants. Who are they? 
They are the children of God. He will have many descendants, brothers and sisters. He will enjoy a long life, and the Lord's good plan will prosper in his hands. And when he, Jesus the Messiah, sees all that is accomplished by his anguish, by his bread of suffering, he will be satisfied. And because of his experience, my righteous servant will make it possible, will make it possible, will make it possible for many to be counted righteous, for he will bear all their sins. I will give him the honors of a victorious soldier because he exposed himself to death. He was counted among the rebels. He bore the sins of many and interceded for the rebels. 750 years before the cross, Isaiah writes that down. How could he know? It was the Lord's will to strike him. Can you see the shadows? So let me do a short review here. The first week was Sabbath. Jesus is our Sabbath, our rest. I will raise him up on the last day, four times. Is he going to raise you up to throw you into Egypt so you can make bricks? Or is he going to raise you up? Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. He's our rest. Last week was the Passover. And listen, this is when it gets really interesting. Jesus was crucified on the Passover. If you need to know, you see, Moses, God gave Moses those dates 1,500 years before Jesus was born. What a coincidence that Jesus' crucifixion was on the Passover. On the Passover. Passover is a day, single day. He, he hit that one? Well, whoa, I was lucky, right? Jesus was crucified on the Passover, John 18, 28. Jesus' trial before Caiaphas ended in the early hours of the morning. Then he was taken to the headquarters of the Roman governor. His accusers um, didn't go inside because it would defile them and they wouldn't be allowed to celebrate the Passover. So that's, Jesus was crucified on a certain day. Of all of these Jewish feasts, the, he just happened to be crucified on Passover. If that's not enough, listen carefully. Jesus was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. It's the next day, right? After Passover, seven days of the Feast of Unleavened Bread. He was buried on the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Next week's topic is called uh, um, First Fruits. Okay? Jesus rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits. Do, do you understand that every one of the feasts reveal the person of Christ? So let, let me jump ahead and give you some, one more. Those, those are, um, then, then there's, those are spring feasts. And if you look at the Jewish calendar, they all happen in the springtime before the, the summer crops. So you've got, um, you've got Passover, you've got Feast of Unleavened Bread, you've got Feast of First Fruits, um, and then you've got the Feast of Pentecost, which is like when the harvest begins. So somebody would say, well, how did Jesus fulfill the Feast of Pentecost? 
What happened on Pentecost? The Holy Spirit comes to the earth. Jesus, the Spirit of Christ, descends upon the people in Jerusalem. So the first four feasts were all fulfilled specifically by Jesus on a certain day. Now, if you want something to raise the hair on the back of your neck, you know what the next feast is? And by the way, there are three more coming. One of them comes this weekend. It's the Feast of Trumpets. And the Feast of Trumpets, can anybody guess, maybe in a way that Jesus might fulfill the Feast of Trumpets? If he fulfilled the other four, and I just told you, how would he fulfill the Feast? Just take a guess. There's a trumpet. And there'd be a loud voice and the shout of an archangel and the trumpet blessed. And the dead in Christ will rise and those who remain on the earth will rise to meet with him in the air. So don't go out of here and say, Terry said Jesus is coming on Saturday. <laughs> but don't go out of here and say, Terry didn't say Jesus was going on Saturday either. You can say, Terry said he hopes Jesus comes on Saturday. Uh, and if he does, I hope that you're ready. And that you've taken the unleavened bread and you've repented of your sins and cried out to him. And say, yes, Lord, come, Jesus, come. So I, 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 let me, it'll be a teaser if I don't finish it. And so after the Feast of Trumpets, maybe that'll be the rapture. He will fulfill it some way. Will it be the rapture? I, I think so, but I don't know. What's after that? The Day of Atonement. All of these we're going to go through in the future weeks. How might he fulfill the Day of Atonement? I can tell you, I believe that'll be seven years later when he comes to the earth uh, to reign as King of Kings. But there'll be one more. It's called the Feast of Tabernacles. How mighty tabernacle. Tabernacle means he will dwell with you. Tabern I will tabernacle with you means I will live with you. How might he fulfill Feast of Tabernacles? 1,000 year reign of Christ on the earth. You can't make this up. And some believe it and some don't. But I'll say to you, to reject it would be rejecting the hand in front of your face. It's as plain as plain gets. He's going to fulfill all the feasts. Some way or another, he's going to fulfill them. So before I get too excited, let's go on. Coincidence or the fulfillment of God's word? It's the fulfillment of God's word. Acts 2.29. Dear brothers, think about this. You can be sure that the patriarch David wasn't referring to himself, for he died and was buried, and his tomb is still there among us. But he, David, was a prophet, and he knew God had promised with an oath that one of David's own descendants would sit on his throne. David was looking f into the future and speaking of the Messiah's resurrection. He was saying that God would not leave him among the dead or allow his body to rot in the grave. God raised Jesus from the dead, and we are all witnesses of this. Now, he is exalted to the place of highest honor in heaven at God's right hand. And the Father, as he has promised, gave him the Holy Spirit, that's on Pentecost, to pour out upon us just as you have see, just as you see here today. Do you ever wonder why the church makes such a big deal about repentance? At least this church does. Do you ever wonder why Jesus' first recorded sermon was called to repentance? 
One of the tragedies of the modern American church is that many have become so seeker-friendly and the gospel is so watered down that you will never hear a preacher ever say, repent. Repentance is to participate in the feast of unleavened bread. Now, if you don't get this, you've missed the whole class. Repentance is to participate in the feast of unleavened bread by receiving the Passover lamb of God to repent of and throw away the yeast of sin in our lives. But you know what we want to do? We want to say, I want the Passover lamb, but I want the yeast. I'm really happy with yeast. I like yeast. I don't like flatbread. That's what we're saying to God. For us to take of the Passover and to receive the unleavened bread, it is to come out of Egypt. Now, listen. I just can't imagine from God's perspective what Numbers 14, 1 through 4 sounded like. Listen, knowing what you know now, can you imagine God, all he did to bring them out of Egypt, the supernatural plagues, the parting of the Red Sea, he comes down in the mountain, reveals himself, to all that. And this is their response to him. Numbers 14, the whole community began weeping. This is Israel coming out of Egypt. They began weeping aloud and they cried all night. Their voices rose in a great chorus of protest against Moses and Aaron. If only we had died in Egypt or even here in this wilderness, they complained. Why is the Lord taking us to this country only to have us die in battle? Our wives and our little ones will be carried off as plundered. Wouldn't it be better for us to return to Egypt? Oh my, can you not see? Wouldn't it be better to go to Egypt? Let's just go back to Egypt. Listen what they did. Then they plotted among themselves. Let's choose a new leader. Let's get rid of Moses and let's go back to Egypt. Now you're God in heaven and you've got this wonderful plan that's going to redeem mankind all the way past us today. They've got this wonderful plan. And what do they want to do? First generation. Let's go back to Egypt. And you know what? I can give them a hard time. And you know what the truth is? I sit in church every week with people who are saying the same things with their heart. You want to go back to Egypt. You will die there. You and your house, you will die there. You got to get out of Egypt. You got to get this yeast out of your life. This next scripture reveals Jesus' first recorded sermon. Listen, it, it says it's his sermon. Matthew 4, 17. From then on, Jesus began to preach. What's his sermon? Repent of your sins. First thing out of his mouth. You know what he's saying? I could translate it. Take of the unleavened bread. Me, I am the bread of life. If you're going to put me inside of you, you've got to get rid of that yeast. Take of the, repent of your sins and turn to God for the kingdom of heaven is near. If that was relevant then, you tell me how much more relevant it is right now. With the Feast of Trumpets coming up this weekend. So here's a summary. Sabbath, Jesus is our rest. It is finished on the cross. The thousand year reign of Christ, I'm going to get into that in future weeks. 
2,000, 2,000, 2,000. That's 6,000 the first six days. The next 1,000, the next day will be the Sabbath. The thousand-year reign of Christ will be the Sabbath. He is the Sabbath rest. The Passover, Jesus is the blood of the Lamb making a way for death to pass over us. Jesus was actually crucified on the Passover, proving he is the Passover. Feast of unleavened bread. Jesus is our sinless man of God. Jesus rose from the dead on the feast of unleavened bread, proving that he is bread without yeast, our manna from heaven. Next week will be first fruits. It'll be announcing that's the day Jesus was raised from the dead on the feast of first fruits. What does first fruits mean? Here's the teaser. He is the first of those who will rise from the dead, but he is not the last. He is the first of those who rise from the dead, first fruits. The appointed times, we all have them. We must get out of Egypt before we meet God. How's that for a conclusion? We must get out of Egypt before we meet God. How are you going to get out of Egypt? The Passover. How are you going to get the Passover? The unleavened bread. Get rid of, repent. I'll use Jesus' words. Repent of your sins. Turn to God. The kingdom of heaven is near. I have an announcement before we pray. When I finish tonight, when we finish tonight, everybody needs to go on and mosey out. Go outside and talk and do what you want to because there's an event here Tuesday night and the band needs to practice. They told me to get out because they want the stage. So <laughs> well, we need to get out because they, they're already, they've been here all day too. So um, we need to go outside, give them this room and let them practice for that Tuesday event. Father, we thank you so much that we can get out of Egypt. Um, what an offer. You would raise us on the last day. And everybody's got a last day. Lord, we don't know whether that last day will come as all of us together or one at a time. We don't know. Whether or not the Feast of Trumpets coming up will be the day you take your bride, we don't know. Boy, I hope it is. But Lord, in either case, tonight we, we take of the unleavened bread. We confess our sins before you. We are unworthy of this wonderful Passover lamb. Have mercy on us. Forgive our sins. Purify our hearts. Lead us to life everlasting. In Jesus' name, amen. Thank you all.